Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Today is Saturday, October 19th, 2019. On this day in 2002, a man named Jeffrey Hopper was shot in a steakhouse parking lot in Ashland, Virginia. He was the 12th victim of the infamous DC snipers. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today we're covering the heinous crimes of the DC snipers and the night they shot their 12th victim. The DC snipers terrorized the greater DC area for nearly a month, shooting people at random. But the anonymous killers eventually made one crucial mistake that led to their capture. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Let's go back to the Ponderosa Steakhouse in Ashland, Virginia on October 19, 2002, a little before 8 p.m. Jeffrey Hopper stood up, stretching as he watched his wife, Stephanie, put two leftover cookies in a box, then grab her purse. The couple was ready to get back on the road. They were now driving south, back to their hometown in Florida. Though it was almost 8 o'clock, they wanted to get moving as quickly as they could. Not that they enjoyed being in the car. No, they simply wanted to get as far away from Washington, D.C. as possible. The news cycle had been filled with horror stories about an unseen sniper taking pot shots at pedestrians. The past two weeks had seen 11 innocent people shot, including a 13-year-old boy who was fired upon as he got off his school bus. Jeffrey and Stephanie had driven as far south as they could before stopping for gas, but when the empty tank light came on, they were forced to pull over in Ashland. Then they'd seen the Ponderosa Steakhouse. Their growling bellies compelled them to extend their stay, and Jeffrey admitted that it was a good decision. It was the best steak he'd eaten this side of the Mason-Dixon. Jeffrey took a deep breath and followed his wife as she left the restaurant. He yawned, thinking about the long drive yet to come. They walked a few steps down the sidewalk before Jeffrey took Stephanie's hand in his. He stepped down off the curb so they could stand eye to eye. They smiled at each other. Jeffrey thought Stephanie was just as beautiful as the day he had met her. He leaned in for a romantic kiss. Then Jeffrey felt his body jerk to the side. His abdomen burned and stung like it never had before. 
He took a step back and placed his hand on his stomach. When he pulled it back, it was slick with blood. He looked at Stephanie and said, I think I've been shot. She scrambled with her phone, frantically trying to unlock it and call 911. Staggered by the pain, Jeffrey sat on the pavement, then laid across the ground. Stephanie, frantic and unable to get her phone to work, started shouting at passersby, My husband's been shot. Someone call an ambulance. A person walking by immediately pulled out their phone. Stephanie looked back at her husband, and as they locked eyes, Jeffrey spoke. I love you. I love you too, said Stephanie. Neither was sure if they'd ever get to say those words again. We'll learn about the DC sniper's reign of terror after this. Now back to the story. On October 19th, 2002, 38-year-old Jeffrey Hopper was shot in a steakhouse parking lot in Ashland, Virginia. Luckily, he survived. Jeffrey was the 13th victim of an unknown serial shooter who had already claimed nine lives and wounded two more victims. The violence had started over two weeks earlier on October 2nd. A bullet flew through the window of a craft store in Aspen Hill, Maryland. Nobody was injured. Nobody knew where the shot had come from or why it had been fired at all. Nobody suspected that it was only a test run, the first in a series of shootings to come. Later that same day, another shot was fired outside of a shopper's food warehouse in Wheaton, Maryland, three miles away from the craft store. Tragically, this one hit more than glass. A 55-year-old program analyst named James D. Marin was struck in the torso. He died at the scene, the first victim of the feared DC snipers. The next day, the snipers claimed five more lives. James L. Buchanan was killed while he was mowing a lawn near Rockville, Maryland. Prem Kumar Walakar was murdered while pumping gas in Aspen Hill. Sarah Ramos was slain while leaving a post office in Silver Spring. Lori Ann Lewis Rivera was shot while cleaning out her vehicle at a gas station in the same town. And Pascal Charlot was killed as he was walking down the street in Washington, D.C. The greater D.C. area was rightfully terrified of these sudden, horrific, and senseless acts of violence. Police searched frantically for the killer or killers, but they found little to no evidence. With the sniper still at large, the police and the media warned people to avoid staying still in public. They advised citizens to duck beneath their cars as they pumped their gas, to walk in zigzag patterns as they moved down sidewalks, and to spend as little time as possible out in the open. No one was safe, which created even wider panic. The 9-11 terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center had occurred just one year earlier, so some people suspected that these murders were being carried out by members of Al-Qaeda who had managed to land on U.S. soil to kill civilians once more. 
The panic only got worse over the next 19 days, as the sniper managed to kill four more people and wound three, including Jeffrey Hopper. After the sniper had eluded capture for weeks, police finally got a break in the case when the anonymous shooter called a police tip line. He had called only to gloat and claim the killings as his own. He refused to give his name, but he made one crucial mistake. In addition to the DC snipings, the killer claimed responsibility for an unsolved liquor store robbery that occurred a month before in Montgomery, Alabama. Based on fingerprint analysis, the FBI determined that the robber in Montgomery was a 17-year-old boy named Lee Boyd Malvo. Malvo was known to be close friends with a 41-year-old man named John Allen Muhammad, and both of them had been missing from their hometowns for several weeks. Interestingly, John Muhammad was also reported to have illegally acquired a 223 caliber Bushmaster rifle, a powerful firearm that matched the caliber of bullet used in the DC shootings. Muhammad also had a vehicle registered under his name, a blue Chevy Caprice. With this information and the vehicle's license plate number, police were quickly able to locate and apprehend both Lee Boyd Malvo and John Allen Muhammad, who had in fact been traveling together. Upon searching the Caprice, police found exactly what they were looking for. Not only did they find the gun used in the shootings, but they found two holes drilled into the back of the car. These holes had specifically been made for the barrel of the rifle and its scope. The dastardly duo had transformed the Caprice into a transportable sniper's nest that had ingeniously shielded them from public view. When they were arrested, both men confessed to the murders. The motive for their crimes is still debated to this day. Some speculated that Muhammad was trying to incite a race war, Others believed the chain of shootings was a complicated smokescreen designed to cloud Muhammad's true intention of murdering his ex-wife, making her look like another victim in the serial killings. Whatever the case may be, it's clear that Muhammad was the man in charge, while Malvo had simply followed his lead. Muhammad was sentenced to death. He was executed on November 10, 2009. As a minor, Malvo was given multiple life sentences. In the years since the murders, he has expressed deep regret over his involvement. He said, I was a monster. I was a ghoul. I was a thief. I stole people's lives. I did someone else's bidding just because they said so. There is no rhyme or reason or sense. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this, check out the episodes of Serial Killers that detail the Phoenix serial shooters Dale Hausner and Samuel Dietman. 
Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Joel Stein, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hovseth. I'm Vanessa Richardson.